chapter 8. Uh, we're going to start a new chapter. And uh, let's just read the first four verses, and then we're going to do an overview this morning of Romans 8, and then uh, kind of get it prepped and ready for uh, getting into and so forth. Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And again here, as we begin to look at this new chapter, as we begin continue to look at who we are in Christ, these identification truths are critical. And they're critical to understand. They're critical to have into your thinking on a constant basis. We learned in chapter 6 there that we're dead to the sin. Our sin is still there. It didn't go away. You don't get rid of the, the sin nature until you die. Either death or the resurrection, the rapture, okay? So we're, but our relationship to that is dead. In other words, sin does, no, does not have dominion over us any longer, 614, okay? Sin has no dominion over us. Why? Well, our relationship to it is dead. This past week, I got a phone call from the West. We're going to have a funeral Monday for Ken. Why? Because he passed away. Ken's no longer there. He's in the presence of the Lord. Praise the Lord, okay? But he's, he, that relationship is one of death. How, did we have, how does God give us that relationship? What did he do? Romans 6. He crucified us. He gave us an identity with his son. The father did, okay? So we have this co-death, burial, and resurrection, they, they call it. We have this co-ness here. So when I look at sin that comes into my life, I choose to allow that to be there. Why? Because I choose to either walk in who I am in Christ or walk in my old nature. See, that's what 6, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2 are saying. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, let me ask you something. Can you? You're justified. Can you continue in sin? Sure. But should you? No. Why? And that's what, that's what he gets into. There's an identification issue. Then you come into chapter 7. And in chapter 7, we learn verse 4 there, um, verse 4, that we've become dead to the law. Now, the law is there. The law is righteous. The law is working. It's holy. It's just seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 12. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. And, and what happens in 7 is, if you go back to chapter 7, I'm quoting the verses there, verse 6, Paul says, but now we are delivered from the law. Now, what is our, what is our identity now? Chapter 6, our identity is we're dead to the sin nature. And if sin's going to reside and be a part of our lives, we made the choice to, be, to do that. I heard a guy, and we're not talking about you no longer have sin, because that's just stupid. 
We're talking about you make the choice on who you're going to serve. That's what he does there in chapter 6. When you get down, you're in chapter 7. If you look there at 6.17, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Actually, it's verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Yield. You decide who, are, who am I going to serve. Am I going to serve my old flesh, my old sin nature, who I was in Adam? Or am I going to come over here and serve this newness now? Now in chapter 7, he's going to do the same thing to you. Verse 6, but now we are delivered from the law. That's the facts. You're delivered from the law system, the law principle of the if and the then. The, the thing that kind of come in and cause you to think that you can do the job. The selfish, the self-willed issue. That being dead wherein we were held, held captive. That we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Do you, have, you have a choice, don't you? I can come over here and serve underneath that legalistic performance management system, or I can come over here and want to live in the newness of the spirit. So the rest of seven, Paul gives a description of what it is to live under the law system. That's why that passage you read down through there, you scratch your head and it's all confusing. He says, hey, look, here's what living under the law looks like. I'm trying to do good, and really I'm doing bad, and when I do bad, I'm trying, you know, it's like back and forth. I'm, you know, what is it? Well, what's his conclusion? Verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? See the conclusion there. It, and we talked last time about the delighting in the law of God and the inward parts. That's not a good thing. That's him trying, in his inner man, trying to do what the law says to do. Because the law says do's and don'ts. What does sin say? When the law says do or don't, sin says do. <laughs> now I'm confused. See? It's a, it's a choice of the inner man. And I'll be honest with you, most people, most grace believers, most grace pastors, you hardly ever hear them talk about Romans 6, 7, and 8. And these are the critical underlining functions of the believer. Before you can ever dive into any other major doctrine, if you don't have 6, 7, and 8 here underneath your belt, and your understanding, you don't have to understand every little jot and tittle, but you have to, under, have to understand the basics, and that's all I've been trying to give you is the basics. If you don't understand the basics, you have no business in the book of Ephesians. You have no business out trying to do stuff you're not equipped to do yet. That's why it's in Romans 6, 7, and 8. We're babes, we're learning, we're growing, we're building the on that foundation. Because in chapter 7, how does he leave you? Oh, wretched man that I... He leaves you in a mess. By the way, no life. Look at verse 24, 724. Who shall deliver me from this what? Body of this what? There ain't no life there. You're dead. There's death there. No answer for deliverance. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's all he says. But there's no information about delivering you from 
this bouncing, the, this troubled mind of, man, I try to do what's right and it's wrong and I'm trying to do, and then when I go do what's wrong, it's, you know, it's really wrong. It's exceedingly sinful, verse 13 says. So what, what happens? Well, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now. no con- There is therefore, we're going to hook in now to chapter 7, and you know what Paul does in chapter 8? Here's the answer. So chapter 8 is going to demonstrate God's answer to the law issue in 7. He's going to talk about that, that, that serving in the newness of the Spirit. Here's, the, here's a new law. Here's some new information for you. Here's a new power source. Come over with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Here's a power, here's a new power source for you to to live in. And in chapter 8, we're going to learn what God's answer to our sin deliverance, whether it's sin in the old man issues, chapter 6, or whether it's in underneath the law. The law, the rule, the govern. You know, you go back in chapter 7 there, you don't, don't go back there, but there's like five or six different laws listed, you know. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 10. And what happens is, is we're going to get an answer here. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Did Paul do some work? He labored, working. He's doing some work. He's doing the work of the ministry. Yet what? What does he say? Yet not I. You see, the Corinthians were, the Corinthians were, they were a little liberal. They liked to party hard. They liked to kick around. They liked to have a good time. They didn't take much serious. Galatians were your Calvinist. They're your legalistics. The Corinthians were your Arminianist, if you know what an Arminianist is. They just kind of kicked back, took it around, didn't take things serious. Paul's being very serious here. I labored more abundantly than you all. But what does he say? Notice he says what? Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You see how Paul lays in, reaches in to Romans 6, 7, and 8 and says, I'm out here working doing the work of the ministry, laboring. That's what labor is, by the way, work. I'm doing good works, but you know who's really doing it? Not me. It's the identification truth of who I am in Christ. That's what's doing the work, the grace. That's why this stuff's so critical. We're told to do good works. We're, ta- we're told to maintain good works. We're told to do things and to, and to build and to labor. But it isn't you doing it, it's who? Him doing it through you. I think we looked at this. Look over at Galatians 5 at the end last time, Galatians 5. So you see in chapter 8, we're gonna, there's a lot of things we're going to learn about. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But look at Galatians 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That verse sums up Romans 6. One verse, Romans 6, there it is. 
Do I, do I walk in the flesh or do I walk in... Where am I? Does sin have dominion over me? No. Why? Because I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Verse 7, uh, 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. There's a summation of Romans 7. I do good. I do bad. I try how to perform this. I'm just all over the place. Now watch verse 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And there's a summation of Romans 8. And we're going to have introduced to us now this available power that we have in who we are in Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Okay? By the way, if you'll look at verse 17 very carefully, the flesh lusteth against the who? See that? Doesn't say it. Lust against Rick, Brian, Bill, Bob, Joe. Doesn't say that. No, I'm talking about you, Bob. <laughs> it says what? Who, who's doing the warring in verse 17? The Spirit is. You see? Why? Because now, come back to Romans 8, because now what do we have on board? By the way, if you want to know what Paul's doing, the two greatest commentaries on the book of Romans are two wonderful, three wonderful books called 1 and 2 Corinthians and Galatians. They're wonderful. You want to know what Paul's doing in Acts? Don't read Acts. That's Luke's perspective. Go read what Paul says and those epistles that are going on in that time period. Paul's a great explainer of what he's doing and what he's getting at. And you know what he says? Listen, folks. If you want to stay out of the immorality of living under the flesh, you need to have these principles underneath. You want to stay out of trying to be legalistic and perform and do and do and do, you need to be over here. You want to, stay, you want to have that, that wonderful power source of the Holy Spirit work in your life, then you know what we need to know? We need to know chapter 8. Because in chapter 8, we're going to have a lot of information given to us for the very first time as believers. He's now going to begin to give us several, many doctrines that we're going to see and be introduced to us for the very first time as believers. Now, as we come to the passage, I understand we come with age on us and some have studied, but you have to remember where we're at in Romans. First epistle, just got justified, 5-1. <laughs> so what are we doing? We're learning and I'll be honest with you, if, you're, if you sit back and say, oh, I know this stuff, then I feel very sorry for you. Because if, even though you, know, you may have years on you, because even as I study this, and I've been studying this a long time, I go, wow, look at that. I, I never saw that before. Look at that. And you start putting things together. I, I was doing it this morning. The guys come in. I go, hang on, I've got to finish this for next hour. You know how you, I think of things. I'm like, oh, let's do that. And, you know, it's like. Now I'll forget and we won't even do it, but I did it in my mind, right? When we come into Romans 8, we leave. We, we leave that struggle of chapter 7. And again, in 6, we've learned the, the, the issues there, the new relationship. Chapter 7, we have this new relationship that we're beginning to see. And now as we begin in chapter 8... We come into a new power source by the third member of the Godhead, 
the Holy Spirit. And uh, again, we're going to introduce several. We're going to introduce who he is. We're going to see his ministry in your life. Paul uses the, in, in the book of Romans, Paul uses the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, 26 times he uses that term. In, in chapters 1 to 7, he only uses him, identifies him one time. Look over at chapter 5 and verse 5. One time. In the first seven chapters, do you see the Holy Ghost mentioned? And he's mentioned briefly, quickly, and in passing almost. Verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in, the heart, in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. He, he's, that, and by the way, that's it. No, no other detail. Nothing about the relationship we have with him. Just that he's real. Just that he's a member of the Godhead. That's it. He just says, boom, this is it, and he keeps moving. Why? Because in chapter 8, he mentions, talks about the Holy Spirit 19 times. In chapters 9 through 16, he only mentions the Holy Spirit six more times in the rest of the book. Chapter 18, I'm chapter 8, 19 times. We're going to learn about who he is, his ministry. We're going to see some things that lay the groundwork on how he works today. We're not going to see all of it, because as you begin to study out down through in the advancing of the doctrine, you begin to learn that he's working in different ways. We, we know that he, the, word, the Holy Spirit works with the Word of God. We don't learn that here uh, in, the, in the great detail that we learn about that in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5, where we've been studying being filled with the Spirit. But we're going to see that. What that tells you and I is we'll see the significant role that the Holy Spirit has in the edification process of the believer. That's why it's the Spirit warring against the flesh. You're cut out of the equation. But you know what? You were cut out of the equation in your justification, were you not? There ain't nothing you can do to justify yourself. It's him. Remember when we went through that issues? Romans 3 there, the propitiatorial act. That was an act between God the Father and God the Son that he then made available to everybody else by faith. You're cut out of that stuff. Guess what? You're cut out of this too. You're not, you're not I mean, if, if you think about that, then you sit back and now what can you do? You can make a decision. Which side of the equation am I going to be on? That's that verse in 2 Corinthians 11 about the simplicity that's in Christ. And Satan beguiled Eve from the, uh, and corrupted her what? Her mind. See, we get this stuff bombarded in on us that we can do it. Yeah, we got it, man. We can strive. Just give me the rule, man. Let's go. And you know what sin says? Nope. But you know what God's grace says? I already took care of that. What you worried about? Just get over here, over here where you're supposed to be. And by the way, I've given you a guy, the third member of the Godhead, we call him, the Holy Spirit, and guess what? He's the one that's going to carry you through, but you have to decide. That's why in verse 14 he says, but as many as are led by the Spirit. You've got to get out of the way. So as we come here to the book, we're, by the way, there's a mass confusion out there in Christian dumb, D-U-M-B, about the Holy Spirit isn't there. The charismatics, Pentecostals, 
uh, even some of the Catholic stuff you read about, all this, they're all over the board, aren't they? And you know what's interesting? When you come to, the, to Romans 8, and you come here to what Paul is going to now say, there is no, there is nothing mentioned by Paul about that supernatural stuff we see in Acts or in the Old Testament. None of that is talked about in Romans 8. Actually, in none of Paul's epistles. There's nothing, again, we find in chapter 8, there is nothing about visions and dreams and tongue-talking and prophesying and sign gifts. None of that is here. Why? Because here's how the Spirit is designed to work in your life. And by the way, the sign gift stuff was only temporary, was it not? It ceased. It stopped. When the, when the Word of God was completed, the canon was done, all of that stuff stopped. See? So when you come in here to Romans 8, 19 times. By the way, we're not in Acts. Don't run to Acts. We're in Romans 8. 19 times we're going to learn, uh, again, man, I, read, I looked at that and I was like, that is so significant here in our learning about the Holy Spirit and His activity in our lives. So let's get an outline of the chapter, because the chapter's in two parts. The chapter comes to us in, 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 two, in, in really two sections, all right? So you've got the first section, power. And I'm borrowing this from Alex Kurz. I'll give him credit because I like it, because it hits where it goes. So in, in 8, 1 to 4, you've got the power. Then you've got a provision. We'll talk about all this here in just a second. That's 8, 5 to 8. Then we're going to do the product. And that's going to be 8, 9 to 13. Then you're going to come down. That's first section. Second section. Here's the position. 814. Then we're going to have a provision. And that's going to be 15 to 17. And then we're going to have a product that's going to be 818 to 39. Okay? When you talk about power, position, here's the declaration of the doctrine. Here's the facts. I think before we, I used declaration, description, and uh, something else. <laughs> I had it here. If I can get that to move. Declaration, description, application. Okay? But when you think about the power the position, the doctrine, then the provision. Here's the specific things that are available to the believer. And then the product is the result. But actually, it's, a, it's that so what question. And if you begin to kind of think about that, God's giving, we're getting information here about who we are and how it is to work. So what? What's the expectation? What's the expected result? We've got the doctrine. We see the, the things available. So what is it to look like? What's the result? That's why it's so what? <laughs> What's the design? 
What's the, what is God, what, what are God's expectations for your life? For how you're to live, how you're to serve, how you're to worship. What's that design? See, that's the flow. It flows up here, and it, then it flows in that second section. The first section, chapter, verses 1 to 4, the issue of the power. That is the issue of identifying the source of life. The end of chapter 7, there was no answer. It was only death. There's no life coming out of chapter 7. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no inner harmony. Rather, there's inner torment. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's not harmony, man. That's turmoil. And now as 8 begins to start in these first four verses, by the way, my goal was to get into these verses. We ain't going to get into them today. We're just going to start next week. <laughs> I really did. I was sitting there last night. We moved Danielle into her new home, and we got back, and we were sit I was sitting there looking at it going, man, I really want to get into the verses, but we're not going to get there. <laughs> I can see because of the hand on the clock. The, the source now, eight starts with the source of life. Look there at verse two. For the law of the spirit of what? Life in Christ Jesus. Here's the source of life in our lives. Here, here is the power for living. By the way, the living here is functional living. It isn't that you breathe in air, you know, you know, taking in breath. But it's functionally living. So chapter 8 is going to tell us about where that power comes from. A power that, by the way, the power, this power is never, cannot be generated by you. It's coming from the Holy Spirit. And how he is to work in your life. So then verses 5 to 8, the, pro, the provisions, they begin to describe the provisions. How do we uh, activate the power? We see the power, now how do we activate it? How do we get it to, to, to move from the page and the theory and the doctrine into the details of life? And that's what 9 through 13, the product is, it's going to describe the product that is produced when that power becomes a reality in life. Everybody wants the Spirit working in their life. Here's how it's supposed to work. Here's how He's going to work. Not supposed to. This is how He works. We'll have tremendous clarity here about who the Holy Spirit is and what He's doing in the details of our lives. By the way, look down there in verse 4, 8, 4. Then the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. What are those next two words? See, it doesn't say by us or with us. It says what? In us. That verse over in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, talking about the judgment seat of Christ, that, thing's, that verse says that the things that are done in his body, not by his body, not with his body, but what? In his body, inside so if the Holy Spirit is working in you, and he's producing the righteousness of the law, and we'll get down into that verse next time, we'll have, that's why I want to teach the verse, verses, we'll do it next time. You get into that, and you begin to see that when that verse says, thou shalt not covet, which is the struggle he had in seven, the Holy Spirit comes in, and 
And then he learns Philippians over there, the power, that divine power of contentment. How did he learn that? He learned it by the Spirit working in his inner man. But see, that verse said, then what, he's, what is he going to do? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled where? So now what Paul's going to do, the power of the Spirit's going to come over here and produce him not what? Coveting. He didn't do it because what's, what's his old nature, what's his natural gravitation to do? Covet. Do it. I can constrain it. I can restrain it. The Spirit comes in and just pushes. And it produces, well, if it's produ- being produced in me, then what is the natural result of that? It's going to do what then? Outflow. It's going to work out. See? That's why these truths are so critical. Because the working is inside of you first. Over there in Titus 3, when Paul tells Titus to, to uh, the faithful servant, the faithful saying, to r- maintain good works... How in the world do you do that? You don't do it. The spirit working inside of you with the word and the sound doctrine does that. He tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, do the work of an evangelist. You know being an evangelist, you know giving the gospel to people, it's work. It's work. Paul says do that several things going on there doctrinally, where does that come from? Where does the desire to see lost people get saved? Usually when we see run into the lost, we just want them to stay lost. Just pop them. Because what they're doing something that's irritating to us. Paul says, no. By the way, that's Romans 12. We'll get over there in Romans 12. I tell you what, if you spent more time in Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, and in Ephesians 4 and 5, In Colossians 3, you wouldn't worry about anything else that's going on out there in the world or about you. You would unplug from the Internet completely. You'd just turn all that junk off, all of it. You'd just... Because you'd be concentrating on something that's of divine necessity. You'd just unplug. You should try it. It's fascinating. Okay? So you're going to have a product... You're going to have, here's what it looks like. Here's what he's doing in the details of our lives. Then you come to the second half, verse 14. Here's our position. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Look at that. There's our position as a what? What are we? Sons. And then you're going to get into, we're going to get into some things about our sonship. We have a relationship here, though. This is who we are. Look at this. We are in his eternal family, folks. You guys okay? That's some good stuff right there. But there's also more to it than that. Because now now we have a very special, a very specific relationship that God desires to have with us as a father. Not just a savior, not just a redeemer. Look at verse 15. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We're not back underneath Romans 7. But we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we recry what? Abba, Father. 
We cry that. Why? Because we're the sons of God. But more than that, we have a relationship that the Father wants to have with us as our Father now. That's, that's tremendous. Because now we're going to learn how God relates with us. He doesn't relate with us as someone who's, suff- who's striving to do, who's out there seeking to gain and to do it themselves and to achieve our own acceptance and do things to be accepted of him. No, what are we, Ephesians 1? We're accepted in the who? The beloved. Who is that? The only one that could ever cry, Abba, Father. The son. But who are we now? Well, down here in in chapter 8, we're going to find out we're joint heirs with Christ. So as he can claim, Abba, Father, so can we now. Why? Because we have a new relationship with the Father. We learn that here in Romans 8. We don't learn this anywhere else. We learn it here first, I should say. If you're striving to gain his acceptance, to do what needs to do, to do, to do, to do, to do, it's like do-do, <laughs> to do, you know what God says? Wait a minute, man. Stop. I, you're already in the family. Stop. I, I would, I'm going to give you a specific spiritual capacity that's going to enable you now to respond to my goodness to appreciate it, to value it, to adore it, to want that worthiness of his love. We're not at Calvary. We're over here in life. The average grace believer thinks about this stuff only in Calvary. And he's talking about, no, in life. By the way, this is something that is knowable. You can know this. And he wants to sit there with you and have an intimate relationship as a father to his son, as a father to his child. That's why in verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Folks, we got a completely different thought process going on here. Radical change. Then you start in verse 15, you work down through verse 17, and Paul describes the provisions that make up our position as a son, but then also that take that son and make, us, make it into a living reality. You follow that? It's fantastic. Then he starts in verse 18, and he runs down through the end of the chapter describing the product. So what am I as a son of God? What's expected of me now? Here I am. I'm the, I have the sonship status. I have this adult status in the family of God. Now what's expected of me? And what can we then expect to happen? Well, what does verse 18 say? For I reckon that now you're going to have a glorious life, free of all trouble, free of all hurt, free of all harm, prosperous, wealthy, healthy, and wise. Is that what 18 says? 
does in my version. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> no, what does it say? The suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the what? The glory that shall be revealed. Notice again, in us. As we sit in those heavenly places, as we sit out there, Ephesians 2, 7, and we're going to manifest His glory for the ages to come, as we sit in that governmental structure up there, who, that man, that glory isn't even worthy to be what? On the same page in our thinking as the mess that we're going to suffer down here. It's fantastic. You know, you and I suffer three basic ways. One, because of Romans 8. When you get in here and you find out about the sin, the sin cursed on the creation. You're going to groan. You're going to ache. You're going to get old and you're going to die. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> right? That's what, that's what 8 says. But then you also, Galatians 6, you make stupid decisions. So you've got to suffer for those. And then over there to Timothy, he says, Yea, all those that will live godly shall suffer persecution. Will. A choice. And if you decide to go live as who you are in Christ, you're going to suffer. I mean, it might not be, I was reading, I get the Voice of the Martyrs, the little magazine, it's persecuted Christians around the world. And there's this guy in Nigger, uh, Nig Nicaragua, thank you, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and he's a, an associate pastor. And him and the pastor, the, the extreme terrorist Muslims are, been moving through that area, just wiping out villages. Uh, you either convert or die. So they were sit, standing at the entranceway of their village with the only two guns in the village, and they were protecting it. Well, then all of a sudden, gunfire broke out behind them. The, the, the terrorists went around into a back way. So they go running. Well, what is the villagers doing? Running. And, and I think like 18 or 20 of them got killed or whatnot. But the, the, associated, the associate pastor could not find his wife and like four-month-old kid, child. So just, but you know what, though? It was interesting when they interview him for the article and they're talking about him. You know what he never said? He said, I never thought that God would deliver me. I never looked for the hand of God to reach down and save me. I just knew that this was something that who I was in Christ, now I'm paraphrasing a big, okay, who I was in Christ was good enough and who they were. And at the end they find them, they're off in the ditch and everything's fine. That's what we're going to find out. Here's what it's to look like. Here's what's to be accepted, expected. Ugh. Not a happy, easy go, win the Powerball and everything's set. By the way, if you win the Powerball, your life just turned upside down. You think it's bad now, it just got worse. I'd like to try it, though, I think. <laughs> but you, you read the stories and the accounts when people win money like that, they don't, it do, they don't handle it very well. But the thing is, is that's what we're going to see here in chapter 8. Now, in chapter 8, come down to verse 26. We're going to learn several doctrines here. Um, about the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn the doctrines about sonship position in Christ. Verse 26, we're just talking about it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our, what? Infirmities. We're going to learn something about infirmities and suffering. 
we're going to learn something about suffering in the life of a believer. If you look at verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? You see that list? All of that's real. None of that is figurative. All of that is literal. Now, again, the sword ends up being the government. We understand that from study in Romans 13. By the way, if you want to, I hope you understand this. I hope I never really had to say this, but I just thought about it. If you come across a verse that you don't understand, where, what do you usually go do? You call, call Rick. <laughs> That's fine. You can call Rick. You go what? You go look for another verse to help you understand that. So when you get into this, this list is real here. So we begin to learn about the issue of the sufferings. And we learn that all of this comes at us, yet what, are we, what still are we? The Son of God. We're still sons. In the context of life, we're going to learn something about security. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And I'll be honest with you, that's a key in all of our lives. Because when trouble comes up against us, what do we usually think? Be honest with yourself. What in the world did I do to get this? By the way, that's wrong thinking. You didn't do anything, it's just the what? The course of the world. You have to have 1 Corinthians 10, 13 in your mind at all times. That the things that come are common to man. Ain't nothing special about you. I know, there's something special about all of us. I get that. Okay, But when it comes to who you are in Christ and what's going on in life, it's common to man. And there they are. We're going to learn something about our assurance. You start there in verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom, did he, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Whom, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Notice all of that is past tense. It's already been done for you. We'll spend time as we go through these. What you learn in all of this is that Paul doesn't, God doesn't, we, we are not to measure our relationship with God based on what's happening in our lives. We're, me we're to measure it based on what God's word tells us about that relationship. So if you're looking at the D, everything's going good, so me and the Father, we're right on. That's that mess in 1 John 1, 9 over there. If you don't confess your sins, you break your fellowship with the Father. You know what Paul says? That's not the case. Quit thinking like that. Give you a little Bronx cheer, okay? He says, listen, your relationship's based upon that word of God says about your relationship, not the details of your life, you know, because there are days when it does nothing but rain down on you, and what do you usually think? Oh, my goodness, God's getting me now. Paul says, no, 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 we don't think that way. We just have to understand what's going on. And how do you understand that? Well, look at verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know what the answer is? God is what? He's for you. 
Do you see how he asked that? What shall we say to these things? He just list, gave this list of assurance for you in the details of life and the sufferings that are going to happen. By the way, back up there in verse 26, uh, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our... We're going to find out about how he helps. He's going to help us, how that works, how he does that. Biggest thing in verse 31 is we're going to find out who's on our side. And I'll take him any day of the week and three or four times each day. <laughs> okay? Look down at verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. Oh, isn't it wonderful to be persuaded? You know, Paul, in a little bit here in Romans, he's going to tell us over there to be fully persuaded in our own minds. I love that. It's wonderful to know who's going to persuade you. Not some guy, not some man yapping. Who persuades you? The Word of God does. The Holy Spirit is the one doing the persuading. Come back over here to Romans 4. This thing about being fully persuaded. Romans 4, look at verse 20. Talking about Abraham in, back in Genesis 15. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Do you see that he staggered not? That's being fully persuaded. But who fully persuaded Abraham? The Word of God did. What God told Abraham about him and Sarah are going to have a kid, have a boy. You see, you're not fully persuaded by a preacher. You're fully persuaded by what the Word tells you, rightly divided. <laughs> okay? Now come back to Romans 8. We're going to find out here, verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, boy, isn't that wonderful. Death and life, that covers it all, doesn't it? That's a whole ball of wax from uh, cradle to grave. There it is. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor You know what we're going to find out? We're going to find out for the very first time that we have an enemy. Right here. There's an enemy against us. And the enemy is introduced to us, nor angels, nor principalities. The principality, the top reigning figure in that governmental government out there. What's he saying in Ephesians 6, 12? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Spiritual wickedness and high places. We have an enemy. By the way, verse 31. Look, at, look over at verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? You see the who? Sounds like an owl. Who? Who? You got an enemy. Do you see? Now we have an enemy. There's someone against us. There's somebody against God's official declaration that you are a son. And you can cry, Abba, Father. By the way, when the Lord cries that, where is he hanging? Yeah, not, 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 not down at the, at the local you know, fishing hole, fishing with the boys. He's, hang, he's in trouble. 
He's suffering. There's an adversary now. There's an enemy. And the adversary, by the way, verse 38, that is unseen. Angels, you don't see these guys. Principalities, powers, things present, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, folks, we have an adversary. Never been talked about till right here, right now, in Romans 8. So we're going to learn about the enemy. That's unseen, but yet he's very interested in you. Because you're going to be used by God to fill up the heavenly places. To root out that old governmental structure. Isaiah over there, he says he takes the heavens, rolls it up as a scroll, and he shakes out the inhabitants. You read that and you go, man, what in the world is he talking about? Revelation 12 says there's a war in heaven between Michael and his angels and the devil and his angels, and guess what happens? The devil loses his place, the verse says. The adversaries polluted the heavens. In Job over there, he says, the heavens are unclean in my sight. You go in there and he takes those heavens, God does, and he says, I didn't need 35, I just needed 12 seconds. And and boom. I didn't need 50, I only need 20. Boom. Shakes them out. Takes you and I as members of the body of Christ and puts us into those heavenly places. And says, from there you're going to manifest. You've got work to do, you've got a job to do. You've got a vocation to fulfill. Right now in time, we get to learn about that, get that in our inner man. Why? Because when you die, when, the, when you die and go to heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord, who goes, who goes to heaven? You know, we always say, naked you came into the world, naked you're going to leave. He tells Tim, Timothy, says that, right? Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. But, you know, when you go to heaven, you know who you take with you? You. Everything you've put into your inner man, sound doctrine-wise, goes to heaven. It doesn't sit here in the ground. It goes with you. That's pretty exciting to me. It says, hey, I'd rather be doing this than something else. I'd rather be doing this right, by the way, than something else. Let's say, say it like that, okay? Verse 26, likewise the, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should, what? Pray for. Now we're going to learn something about prayer. First time. We didn't have a prayer, a, a sinner's prayer to get saved, but now we've got a prayer life here. And we're going to see the Holy Spirit. He's going to help us, and we're going to learn how to pray properly in the dispensation of grace. And it's talked about right here. Fantastic. Come back over to, or earlier in the chapter. Chapter 8, look at verse 8, sorry, verse 8. So then they that are, notice, in the flesh cannot please God. But ye that are in the flesh, I'm sorry, that ye are not in the flesh, sorry, but what? In the spirit. You see the in the flesh and in the spirit? There's something going on there where you're going to be functioning, where you're going to be operating. Verse 14, for as many as are Led by the Spirit. Led, that consistent with, with verse 8 there about, or verse 9 there about in the Spirit. 
if we're walking, no, um, for as many as are led by the Spirit, I'm looking for the verse. Man, I just had it. Yeah, but it's after. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live. Notice, after the flesh. Verse 13, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do more. See that after the flesh, after. If you're led by the Spirit, what are you not going to go do? Live after something. That issue of after, that isn't we have the 930 and after that we have the 11 o'clock. It is, I am actively pursuing something. I am going after the deeds of the flesh. I am going after the deeds of the Spirit. See that? And we're going to learn, hey, if I'm led by the Spirit, if I'm going after the Spirit, then I'll be functioning where I'm supposed to be. It's consistent with someone leading us. That's the point. There in verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to what? To live. And that's the issue, is the issue of life. So we have these issues of walking, walking after a particular state of mind, of moving towards, chasing down, catching, gripping, putting it into the details of our life, being empowered by that power source of the Holy Spirit. We learn that in Romans 8. We've, up to here, we've never seen this guy. We've only had him mentioned one time to us, 5-5. Five, five. Now it's, he's everywhere. Because what's going to happen then as we move in our edification process, Ephesians 3, verse 16. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 16. One of Paul's prayers here. He says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Without Romans 8, you would have no clue on how that's supposed to look like. The verse says the spirit strengthens you where? In your inner man. But what does that look like? Romans 8 tells you what it looks like. How that happens. Come back to Romans 8. You got verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to, him, to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, notice something here real quick. We got like three minutes. Carefully. Notice in verse 1, to them which are where? In Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So the question is, is okay, what are the things of the Spirit? It's the things in verse 1. To them which are, after, which are what? In Christ Jesus. You see, the, the Spirit, verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit's fundamental ministry to us concerns who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. That's all he's concerned about. 
He don't care where you live, how much money you make, who you're related to, endless genealogies. He don't care about any of that. He cares about do you understand who you are and what you have in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. The things of the Spirit have to do with the things that are in Christ Jesus and you understanding that. Okay? Now next time we'll catch, we'll start verse 1. Because there's a great, great debate about the last ten words of verse number one. About who walk after, not after the flesh but after the spirit. Schofield's got a note here that says last ten words are in, in, uh, interpolated, which is, means inserted. Great copy errors and all this stuff. They got a lot of stuff. And you know what all it is? A bunch of hogwash. And that's all we're going to say about it. Okay? Why? It's there. You need to understand what it is. And what they say, by the way, they say it's a copyist error because of verse 4. How does verse 4 end? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So you know what they say is when they were making the copies, the guy was working on verse 4, verse 1, and then he skipped to verse 4 and copied it in. But wait a minute, doesn't 1 come before 4? Usually. So then they say, oh yeah, that's right. Well, he wrote out verse 1 right, but then in verse 4 he added the last, because his eye went from here to here. And I'm like, all right, see, that's why it says a bunch of hogwash. Then they say, well, in Alpha it's this, and in B, at Codex B, it's that, and all this stuff. And you know what you find out? They found out that Alpha and Codex B is a bunch of garbage too, a bunch of hogwash. Leave it where it sits. Enjoy where it sits because it's supposed to be there, okay? All right, now I took up the last of it, so we'll let you go. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your, the word here. We thank you now that as we begin to learn about the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would do so and rejoice in that and look at it and study it and fall in love with him all over again. In your name we pray, amen.